stand up right now. All our dads, stand up right now. Let's give them a big hand. All right, dads, this is our day, right? Our families bring us the food we want to eat, right? We get to control the TV today, right? We get to choose the restaurant we go to, right? It's Dad's Day! Congratulations! <laughs> I hope that all of you, thank you, you may be seated. I hope that all of you will have a wonderful day. And, and if your children are here, that you'll get to be with them today. If they're in other places in the country or even the world, I hope at least you'll get a phone call and be able to connect with them today. We congratulate you, we thank you, uh, and have a great Dad's Day. Let me pray for you right now. Father, we thank you for all these dads here today. And Lord, we understand that you have given fathers an enormous responsibility, but an enormous opportunity. Father, help us to be the dads that you need us to be and that we really want to be deep inside ourselves. Father, help our children to understand that we love them. And, and help them to, to understand that we're trying to teach them life values that will make their lives easier and not harder. For those of us who have children who have already grown, Father, we thank you for them. And Lord, we just pray for your protection over them and their families now. And Lord, I pray that all our dads here and dads around the country today will have a time building memories with their family because life is about relationship. Thank you for family. Thank you for dads. God bless us. Father in heaven, the greatest father of all, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.
brother, when you need a friend, who do you go to? Go to the rock. Go to the rock. But Satan doesn't want you to go to the rock. And Satan's lying to you to keep you from going to the rock. We've been talking about Satan's most believable lies. Now, he's got a lot of them. We're only going to share three of them, but these are three that people believe, and we have even fallen prey to these. Now, after a week of introduction, last week we took on the first lie. The first lie is this, that God is a cosmic killjoy. Satan wants us to believe that God is controlling and God is manipulative and God has put all these restrictions and rules and regulations on us and he's just up in heaven looking down having a good time just laughing his sides off at us trying to jump through all the hoops and keep up with what he wants us to do. This lie is the original lie that led mankind down the road to the chaos that we live in today. We looked at it last week, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than the wild animals and the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? That's where he started. He said, eat, wow, look at all this. This is really beautiful. Look, look at all the fruit on the tree and look at all the vegetables. Wow, this is someplace. You, you mean God said you can't eat any of this? See, that's where he started. And Eve came right back, as, as we saw, and she said, no, God didn't say that at all. God said, in fact, that we can eat any of the fruit from any of the trees in the garden, except one. He said, there is one in the middle of the garden, and we're not supposed to eat from that tree. Then, Eve takes a fatal misstep. She takes just a little step in the direction of listening to this lie that Satan is trying to put into her life. And she goes on and says, and God said, you must not even touch it. Because if you even touch it, you're going to die. Now, God never said that. God said, just don't eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's all God said. He didn't say you can't touch it, you can't go around it, can't look at it, can't enjoy its beauty. He said, just don't eat the fruit. Now, that first little misstep opened the door for Satan to lie about God and to call God a liar. Because he comes right back in verse 4 and 5 says, You will not surely die. What, Lee? He said you're going to die because you touched the tree? You're going to die because you eat the fruit off that tree? Look, it's no different than any of the other trees. What are you talking about you're going to die? You're not going to die. God's lying to you. And for the first time, mankind began to question the trustworthiness of God. Then he goes on to say, because part of this lie is not only to say God's a liar, but why God's lying to you. And part of the lie is this, that God's holding out on you. There's something that you need. There's something that you desire, and God doesn't want you to have it. And he goes on to say, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He said, Eve, come on. Let me tell you about God. I know God. God's holding out on you. God's lying to you. He doesn't want you to eat that fruit because he knows that when you do, that fruit's got magical portions. That, 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 that fruit has magical tendency. That will open your eyes and you're going to be like, God, God don't want you to be like him. God wants you to keep you down here. Remember, he's a cosmic killjoy. So he doesn't want you to eat that fruit. See, Satan's tactics, how he's working here, and he's still working this way. He's using the same tactics because they were successful then, they're successful today. 
See, what he does is he entraps his prey little by little. Until they're committed to them, or at least that they're open to his suggestions. He just kind of keeps turning the gas up a little bit and enticing us. And then he conceals his real objective, making it appear that he's all about our happiness. Like we saw in the movie clip last night. I'm a fan of man, Satan says. I'm your fan. I'm the one down here trying to make your life what it really can be. And and you can realize all you can do and do everything you can. Have all excitement and adventure in life. I'm the one for you. God's against you. He's lying to you. He's lying to you. We see that she bought into it. Verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and ate it. She said, you know, that fruit really does look good. And, and, and wow, if I eat this fruit, I'm going to be like God? Wow. i got to have that. So she took and ate fruit. And she gave it to her husband who was with her. Now, this is proof that even before the fall, men had a nothing box. (laughs) Can't you just picture this scene where Eve is talking to the serpent? Adam's just... He says, here, eat this. We can be like God, eat this. Okay. And his nothing box caused a lot of problems. That's my, my opinion of it. Listen, write this down. The initial attractiveness of sin never prefigures its consequences. Let me say it again. The initial attractiveness of sin never prefigures its consequences. See, Satan said, you're going to be like God. You're going to know the difference between good and evil. And actually, he wasn't lying to her. But Satan's real objective was to plunge mankind into sin. His real objective was what Jesus warned us about, that the thief comes only to steal and to kill, and to destroy. That was his objective. But he made it sound like if she took advantage of this, her eyes were going to be open and her life was going to be improved. But it wasn't, was it? See, God had given that prohibition to protect their purity and their peace. Verse 7, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Immediately, instantly, everything changed. Their eyes were open, and now what was previously natural and pure and holy, their nakedness immediately became a thing of embarrassment and became a thing of shame and became a thing to cover up. See, I think this is part of the unofficial curse here. Because we've been a slave to the fashion industry ever since, haven't we? Yeah, don't you believe somewhere later on, Eve had 27 fig leaf outfits someplace in the closet. And she was always on Adam about going out and killing a bear or a lion so she could get something else. I mean, we've been a slave to it ever since. I, I think it's part of the curse, but it's not part of the official curse. But anyhow, everything changed. Gets worse. Verse 8, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Oh my. Can you see the tragedy, the travesty of of what has just happened? I mean here, now they're afraid of their creator. The God who made them special above all creation. The God 
who said, let us make man in our own image and let us give man dominion over everything we've created. Let us come and commune with man. Let us have a special relationship of intimacy with man. And now, for the first time, man is hiding from God and we've been hiding from God ever since. Verse 9-10, But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Fear of God. Estrangement from God. Everything was ruined because the initial attractiveness of sin never prefigures its consequences. We know the story how God said, how do you know that you're naked? Did you eat the fruit from that tree? And of course, Adam immediately said, she made me do it. (laughs) And she said, serpent made me do it. So God passed judgment on the serpent. Said, you'll be cursed among all the other animals. On your belly you'll crawl through the dust all the days of your life. To the man, he said, from now on, you'll work the fields by the sweat of your brow. And he said to the woman, from now on, you will bear children in labor. It'll be a painful experience. And your desire will be for your husband. And what that means is now there's going to be relational disharmony where there was relational perfect harmony before they believed the lie about God. And it's been that way. We've been fighting ever since, haven't we? Finally, verse 23, So the Lord banishes him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been made. Finally, God says, you've got to leave. God threw him out of paradise, a place where there was no sickness, there was no disharmony of relationship, there was no crime, there was no struggle in life. It was perfect. God had placed them in a perfect environment where there was only peace and happiness. In communion with God now, they had to leave that paradise. Then Genesis chapter 5, 5 says, Altogether, Adam lived 930 years. And then he what? He died. Now, remember last week we noted that God didn't kill him. God didn't come down and say, You ate of that, that, you, that, the fruit of that tree and just zapped him dead. God didn't do that. Because that's not what God was warning him against. God was not warning him against God. God was warning him against evil. Because that's what evil does to us. Evil destroys us. It kills us. It takes us out. And when Adam brought evil into his life and the life of Eve and the life of all mankind, disease began to come into the picture. And because he was working by the sweat of his brow, his body began to break down and the aging process started. And although he lived 930 years, God's word was true. The day you eat of that fruit, you're going to die. And he died. The initial attractiveness of sin does not prefigure its consequences. And the same is true today as it was back in the garden. Satan says, ah, you're missing something. God's holding out and God's a liar. God tells you not to do that because he's lying to you because it's so much fun and it's going to bring you so much pleasure. And we start saying, you know, maybe that sounds right. I think I would like to do that. I think I could get some pleasure out of that. 
and all the time. Satan is hiding his real objective. Trying to convince you that he's a fan of man. And that infidelity of relationship. And cutting the corners at work. And cutting the corners on taxes. And whatever. He's saying, come on, you can do better. You can make it faster. You can live more exciting. You can break the monotony of this life. God's holding out on you. And we act on it. And then the consequences begin to invade our life. God's a liar. Now, Satan's trick with this lie is to create doubt about the trustworthiness of God. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to create doubt in us that we can trust God. Now, we could spend the rest of the morning and probably all afternoon into the evening, but this is Father's Day and I won't do that to you, and look at many areas that Satan calls God a liar that tempt us to act outside of the will of God and bring us down the road of destruction. But I want to just look at a few today. Satan says God lies about his word. And I think that's one of his starting points. Satan says God lies about this. This isn't his word. This is a book that was written by a bunch of men. But God says in Jeremiah 23, 29... Is not my word like fire? And like a hammer that breaks a rock to pieces. He says to Jeremiah, who's discouraged in his mission of taking God's message to the children of Israel. And God's trying to encourage him. And he's saying, isn't my word like fire? Isn't my word like a hammer that'll break the rock? Don't you worry about it. You just tell him my word. My word will do the rest. In the book of Hebrews, in the New Testament, chapter 4, verse 12, says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit. And it judges the thoughts and intents of the hearts. What's it say? It says, this word of God, this revelation of God is active. It's alive. It is not antiquity. It is not outdated. It is not a coffee table ornament. It's alive and it can change the lives of the most stubborn and hard-hearted men and women. Second Peter 1.20 says, above all, You must understand this about this book. Peter says, Scripture came about by the, by, no Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. He said, don't you kid yourself about this book. There wasn't some literary genius that sat down and and, and wrote this book. There wasn't some poet that sat down and wrote this book. There wasn't some wise man that sat down and wrote the Proverbs of this book. Don't you kid yourself. God says every step of the way, the Holy Spirit, I sent the Holy Spirit, and he moved the men who wrote this book to write what they wrote. It is inspired. It is my revelation to mankind. It tells you everything you need to know about me and about you and about our relationship and how to restore that relationship for all eternity. But Satan says, he's lying to you. That book isn't 
active. It's not alive. It's just a collection of a bunch of guys who wrote stuff down trying to manipulate the people of their generation. And have we bought into that lie today? We don't want it in our schools. We don't want it in our civic centers. We don't want it in our lives. I tell you what, you, you wonder what people really think about God's word. You go to some folks this week that you know are not people of God, that aren't people of, of church, that aren't people of faith, and you ask them, what do you really believe about the Bible? And you'll be amazed at the answers you're going to hear. And it won't be that this is the inspired word of God. And our universities, liberal teachers are, are ridiculing our Christian students who go there and profess their faith in Christ. You believe that garbage? You believe that Bible? See, Satan says God's lying about his word. And he gets us to lose confidence in it so that we will no longer model our life and dictate our behavior by its contents and its loving prohibitions that protect our peace. Truth of the matter is, when science and the Bible collide, the Bible wins. Do you know that in the book of Isaiah, written approximately 800 B.C., 2,200 years before Christopher Columbus sailed to the New World, it says in a verse in Isaiah, it is he who sits on the circle of the earth. you know that? God inspired Isaiah to say, thousands of years before we began even to consider that the world wasn't flat. He already told us, it's a circle. They used to think, remember the, the earth was held up by, by a god, Atlas? And the Bible said, again, another prophet, B.C., that God has suspended the earth in nothing, in space. Archaeology, astronomy, chemistry, physics, no matter what it is, history. Anytime that the Bible speaks of that, it proves again and again the inspiration of the Bible, but God want, or Satan wants you to believe God's lying about it. Satan says God lies about prayer. Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Over and over again. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. Over and over again. It says, I hear your prayers. I listen to your prayers. If you pray believing, you're going to receive. Satan says, God's lying. And here's how he does it. We get down, we start praying about something. And God doesn't immediately answer that prayer. And Satan gets in there and he says, see, God's lying about prayer. You've been praying for your husband now for two months and there's no change. See, you've been praying for that wayward child now for four months, and you don't see any change. See, you, you, you've been praying for a new job now for six months, and, and you haven't even got an interview. See, prayer doesn't work. Satan's saying, God's lying to you. Get up off your knees. Quit embarrassing yourself. and Get out there and, and depend on yourself. Get out there and, and network and depend on others. God's not going to do anything for you. And we listen to the voice and we get up our knees and we stop praying. We stop tapping into the most powerful spiritual resource God has given us. Because we believe the lie of Satan. It says God lies about his care. 
First Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. That's what the Bible says, that God, the omnipotent God of the universe, actually knows your name. He knows the number of hairs on your head, and he cares about everything that you're going through right now. That's what it says. Cast your anxiety on him. Give it to him. How? Through prayer. But now you don't believe in prayer because Satan's lied to you about God. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And Satan says he's lying. Last night after the service, I had a young single mom come to me. And she said, Pastor Pete, I've lived what you talked about just recently. She said, I'm a young single mom. I've got all these kids, and I lost my job. And because I couldn't keep up with my house payments... I got evicted out of my house, and I prayed to God about it, and I knew God cared, and he was going to do something about it, but nothing was going on, and it was getting worse and worse. And she said, Satan was bombarding me with the lie that you were talking about, saying, see, God doesn't care about you. Look at you and your kids, you don't have anything to eat, you don't have a nice place to stay, you don't have anything. And she said, she got to the place where she began to believe the lie and began to say, God doesn't care. Forget him. Forget about that religious stuff. It doesn't work. It's all a sham. But she went back to the well one more time and prayed. And God gave her a better job than she's ever had before. And God gave her a house like she could not imagine. And in tears in her eyes, she says, I know that God cares about me. I know that God cares about my children. Listen, just about the time Satan convinces us to quit praying and to quit believing is about the time God was getting ready to work. Satan says, God's lying to you. Says he lies about money. The most important thing in most people's lives. Hebrews 13.5 Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. There's two issues there. One is the fact that God says, listen, be content with what you have. And then he links it to himself. He says, and here's why. He says, because you need to remember that I know you, I care about you. I know what you need, and I'm never going to forsake you. I'm not going to leave you. I'll take care of those things. You concentrate on what? On me. You concentrate on our relationship. You concentrate on spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'll take care of the rest. But Satan says, nah, you need the money. You need that money. Got to work harder. Got to work more hours. You need that money. Because money brings happiness. Money will buy you that boat. Money will buy you that TV. Money will buy you that dress. Money will buy you that holiday. That cruise. You need money. It's all about money. Get out there and make money. First Timothy 6.10 For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I could tell you story after story of how that has played out in the lives of people that I have known throughout my ministry. I can tell you, I'll see folks here even at Florida Bible Church, and I'll go up to them and I'll say, hey, how are you doing? I haven't seen you around for a few weeks. Oh, Pastor, yeah, I haven't been here for a few weeks. I've been working six days a week, and Sunday's now the only day that I can sleep in, and the only day I can get rest. Oh, has Satan been whispering in their ear? Yeah, you need rest from God. That's going to help your money problem. Satan just says, well, go out and get you another job. 
You can have more money. Jesus said in Matthew 19.23, It's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Money has such a control on human beings. Jesus said, it's hard for somebody who's got a lot of money even ever to make it to heaven. Why? Because money is so captivating. Money takes over. Money controls. And the more we make, the more we spend because we're never content with what we have. Even though that thing we just had to have is in the back of the garage now, collecting dust. And all those things our kids had to have are sitting in the, the toy chest and they never play with them. We've got to have something else. Why? Because Satan's whispering, God's holding out on you. God's a liar. God's a cosmic killjoy. Get money and you can find joy. Now, for church people, it's directly linked to the fact Satan says God lies about giving. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, 10% of what you make that there may be food in my house. Then God says, test me in this. Says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. You know, this is the only place in the entire Bible that God lays down this kind of a challenge. He says, test me in this. You give me 10% of what I bless you with and see what I'll do with it. Jesus Reiterate in Luke 6.38, Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Satan says, God's lying. He's not going to give to you. He's not going to bless you. You hold on to your own money. 10%? Are you kidding? You know what you can do with 10% just over a month? You know what you could do with 10% just over a year? You know, you're, you're running tight now. It's hard now. You, you need that 10%. You need it more than God needs it. God's lying. He's just wanting to control you. God's lying. He wants to keep you poor. God's lying. He wants it all. He's just manipulating. He's laughing at you giving that much money away. God says, test me. Try me in this. See what I'll do. See, the early church, they got this. When Christianity was just starting, and the book of Acts is all about the start of Christianity and the spread of the gospel through the, through the world. It says in Acts 4.34, There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it on the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to everyone as he had need. See, the early church knew that it was all about giving. And so when they saw brothers and sisters who, because they trusted Christ as their Savior, were thrown out of their families and they had their businesses taken away from them by the city officials, they all got together and they said, we need to give. I'll go sell my house. I'll go sell my chariot. I'll go sell my business. I'll do it all. We'll bring it here. Come on. We're in this together. God's message has got to get around the world. And because they trusted God and didn't believe Satan's lie, that God was just trying to dig in their pockets and control them, Christianity spread through the world like a wildfire. Satan said, don't you give God your money. And, and you know what happens? We, we try tithing. I did this years and years and years ago. I've been tithing for a long time now. But when I was first learning this, this spiritual truth, I'd tithe for a couple weeks and I didn't, didn't get rich. 
Satan said, see, I told you. It doesn't work. And I tried a couple of times, and, and I'd hear a sermon, i go, okay, I, I just didn't try long enough. So I'd try for a whole month now. Didn't get rich. You, you know that Malachi verse, you know what's followed? It says, God says, I will prevent your crops from failing. I will prevent your cattle from dying. A lot of what God does is prevent bad things from happening to us. And I really believe that when we get to heaven, and we have the whole story of our life, Unfolded. Those of us who are faithful and are given are going to find out that God prevented a lot more things from happening to us than he actually gave us blessings for. I'll tell you what, I'll take the prevention. How about you? God lies about sin. That's what Satan says. He lies about sin. The Bible says, Galatians 3.22, it says, the scripture... It declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. Satan says, no, you're not. Come on, sin, that's old-fashioned thinking. Sin, there's no such thing as sin. That's postmodernism. There's no truth. There's no absolute right. There's no absolute wrong. It's whatever your experience is. Whatever two consenting adults agree to, hey, you guys knock yourself out. I have no, no right to judge you. You have no right to judge me. Just get out there and do it all. There's nobody sinning. It's just the choices that we want to make. Bible covers that. It says in 1 John 1 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth's not in us. Matthew 18, 8 and 9. Jesus said that sin is such a serious issue in our relationship with God. He says that if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. Now he's not being literal here. But he's being dramatic and he's trying to nail home that this is how serious sin is how serious our issue is that we'd be better off to cut off our hand cut off our foot and gouge out our eye than yield to that temptation that satan gives us for the wages romans six twenty three says of sin is death satan says come on death I am alarmed, Florida Bible Church, at the number of Christian, now evangelical pastors and speakers that I'm hearing are now saying there is no hell. This is hell. We're living it now. See, Satan is infiltrating not only our culture, not only our world, he's infiltrating our church saying there is no accountability for sin. Because there is no such thing as sin. It's all personal choices. Well, if he's lying about sin, he's got to be lying about salvation. Because if there's no sin, there's no reason to receive forgiveness of our sins. But the Bible says in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And what's the name he's talking about? Jesus. What's the name? That's exactly right. Jesus himself said in John 5, 24, I tell you the truth. Listen to what he's saying. I tell you the truth. He says, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Jesus said, I am the way. I'm the only way back to God. I'm the only way to take care of your sin issue. And sin is so serious 
that you ought to cut off your hand, your leg, and gouge out your eye rather than commit it. Now Satan's tactic again is to create doubt about the trustworthiness of God. And he does it no more powerfully and no more frequently than this whole idea of salvation. One of the things is that I have people come to me all the time or I have people that I'm witnessing to. I have parents come to me about their, their adult children and they'll say, you know, I've witnessed, I've shared, I've given them a tape, I've, I've done everything and, and, and they just won't believe and, and they say, you know, it just can't be that easy. Yeah, yeah, you mean, all I've got to do is pray a prayer and God's going to forgive me. It just can't work that way. See, Satan's saying, God's a liar. Come on. That's all God's going to extract from you. Because remember, lie number one is God is a cosmic killjoy. Really? All you've got to do is, come on. That's why every world religion, except for biblical Christianity, and I stress biblical Christianity because there's a lot of Christianity out there that's not biblical. Every other world religion tells you that you have to appease God. You have to work your way to heaven. You've got to do the right things, be the right person, be generous to others, and maybe, just maybe, if you live a lifetime that way, God will let you into heaven, if there is such a place. Every other religion. That's why God inspired the Apostle Paul to write to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. Read it with me. It is a gift. Read it again. It is a gift. It's a gift of God. Not by works. Can we get any clearer about that? Not by being a better person. Not by being generous. Now, none of those things are bad. We all should be better people. But it's not the way back to God. That's a lie. Why is it not by works? So that no one can boast. And don't you know we do exactly that? Just stand before God. Yeah, I deserve to come in here. All the time, I'll ask people, are you going to heaven? Yeah, I'm going to heaven. Why are you going to heaven? I'm a good person. Yeah, I'd like to see that score. God's a liar. That's what Satan wants you to believe this morning. God's the liar. In fact, Jesus said that Satan is the liar. Lucifer's the liar. That his native language is lying. That he's the father of lies. And that he is lying to us all the time. And the sad tragedy is this. Many of us are swallowing the lie, hook, line, and sinker. We've given up on his word. We're no longer bold and proud with it. Now, now we hide it and tuck it away because people make fun of it. We believe that God doesn't answer prayer. and We've stopped praying long ago. We don't even do it anymore. We bought into the lie that God doesn't care and we're about ready to, to just give this whole Christianity thing up and agree with Ted Turner that it's nothing but a crutch for a bunch of weak people. We're believing Satan's lies about God. And when we do, mark it down. We are on the same road that Adam and Eve were on. We are on the road to destruction. 
I don't know what you're dealing with today. But the initial attractiveness of whatever it is does not prefigure the consequences of where it's going to take you. Let's bow our heads. What lie are you believing? Right now, what's the Holy Spirit saying to you? You believe in a lie about sin and you've been testing the waters and stretching the boundaries a little bit more all the time. God holding out on you, is that what Satan's telling you? That there's some fun out there that you're missing? There's a zip. Father, I pray for protection over these wonderful men and women here today. God, Satan is so active and we see his success everywhere we look. God, we've forgotten that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And we're surrendering to him every day. We're surrendering our homes to him. We're surrendering our families to him. We're surrendering our marriages to him. We're surrendering our integrity to him. He's lying to us, God. He's hiding his objectives, trying to make us think that he's a fan of man. God, wake us up. Wake us up before it's too late. Wake up that man or woman who's flirting with infidelity before that becomes public and and disclosed and they're shamed and embarrassed in front of their families and friends and their children. God, for those who are cutting corners at work before it's found out and they lose their job or they're arrested for unethical business practices. God, for those who are experimenting with drugs and alcohol and promiscuous sex before the health issues set in and begin to destroy the body. God, may you be true and everybody else a liar. Father, I pray especially for that man or woman here today who's never trusted you as their Savior and who's still believing the lie that Satan has been whispering to them all their life that somehow they can be a good enough person to to appease you. God, if that were true, Jesus never needed to come to this world. Father, I pray right now that they'll wake up and right now they'll trust Jesus as their Savior, praying Jesus. I want you to be my Savior. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. And I believe that what you have to offer me is a gift. There's nothing I can do to earn it. And so Jesus, today I ask you for that gift. Forgive my sin. Be my Savior. Today I believe on the name of the Son of God for eternal life. I know it seems simple. But it's simple because it's a gift of love. Father, Anoint us with your truth and your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you trusted Christ just now, in your bulletin is a little connection card. If not, there's one on the, on the chair in front of you. Make sure you fill that out in its entirety on the back. It says, My Decision Today. There's a place where you can check. It says, I trusted Christ as my Savior. If you'll check that box and, and you'll give us that decision card, here's what we're going to do. Two things. We're going to pray for you as a pastoral staff. We're going to thank the Lord that he brought you to this place of faith. And we're going to pray that God will be powerful in your life from here on out. And we're also going to send you a little book in the mail entitled, You Can Be Sure. It's a little thin paperback book. You can read it in a matter of minutes. But it will reinforce the truth that God gave you today about the forgiveness of your sins.
You can be sure about it. As we prepare to dismiss, let's leave with our eyes open and our hearts open and our minds open to what Satan's trying to do to us. And let's believe God. God will lead you in the paths of peace. He will protect you. He will provide for you. He will love you. Believe Him. Next week we're going to finish our series on Satan's most believable lies. We won't have exhausted them all. Maybe we'll return to it someplace later on. Bring somebody with you. It's the one I'm the most excited to share. As you leave, don't forget, give the Lord your, your gifts. Trust them. Trust them. Test, he says, test me in this. I did it a lot of years ago. And I could tell you stories all day long of how God has proved that, that to be true in my life over and over and over again. Let's all stand. Remember, the initial attractiveness of sin never prefigures its consequence.